Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Today, I'm going to talk from the book of Luke chapter 8. Now, this story in Luke chapter 8 is somewhat, if you've been around uh, church for a while, uh, maybe you were raised in Sunday school, and if you weren't, this is going to be uh, a really beautiful story where I believe you can engage in, is uh, the story where Jesus calms the storm. He's on this boat, and Jesus decides to take a nap, which we'll get to in a minute, and his disciples are freaking out, and then eventually Jesus says, stop freaking out. Those are my words, but essentially that's what he's saying. Calms the storm, and now there's peace. And I have to admit, I've read this story many times. In fact, I've preached on this story many times. But even this week, reading it and rereading it and talking with other folks about it, there's something in this story that I got thinking about when it comes to my own life. I thought, this story sums up to me, and we can argue later in the, in the hall if you want to, it sums up to me the human experience. That we all go through these moments of like grave pain and anguish and doubt and fear. And it sums up what all of us in humanity, if you have a pulse today and a heartbeat, yeah, I have experienced some of those things in my life as well. Am I right? We're going to need a little bit of participation today. Because you got an extra hour of sleep because you didn't come to the nine. I'm just kidding. Maybe you're like, I come to the 11 every week. <laughs> Leave me alone. So Luke chapter 8, in verse 22 through 25, it's these sh- a few short verses we're going to read. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it here. It says this, One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and they sailed. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now the book of Mark, the disciples say, it's, it's recorded that they say a little bit more. They say, hey, we're dying. Do you not care? This is the feeling the disciples are having, having currently on the boat. And he, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and raging waves. And then they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. Today, if you're taking notes, and if you do take notes, um, which you should take notes, it'd be good to take notes, helps you remember things. If you're taking notes on your phone and I catch you doing that, I'm going to be incredibly insecure and think you're texting somebody. So if I turn away, it's because I feel like maybe you're not paying attention. It's okay. Take those notes on that phone if you need to. Or if you need to write them down, write them down on a notepad or your neighbor's arm or these blue chairs, and you can take it home with you. But today, I want to talk about this idea, this title, and this question that we have to ask ourselves when I read this story, simply this, is this the end? Is this the end? I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but I think for us, again, if we're human and we're breathing this morning, we 
have a tendency to ask these types of questions. Is this the end? Is this it? This is where we find our story. This is where we find these disciples asking Jesus, we're perishing. Do you not care? Essentially, is this it? Is this the end? Let me pray for us. God, thanks for moments like these where we can open up your ancient text and we get to see what it is that, God, you're speaking to us here in this moment. We are grateful for the work of a man named Luke who penned a masterpiece, a story about you to a friend. And now we get the honor to open it up and listen and read and talk and debate and have insights of what it is that Jesus you're saying to us even now on this day. So Lord, we love you. Bless this talk. Bless this moment. May we walk out of this room different than the way we walked in. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So when I was the ripe age of seven or eight, I found myself at a soccer practice uh, at Kelly Myers Park in Roscoe, Illinois. And I just finished soccer and I grew up playing soccer and we just wrapped up the practice and I'm on the sidelines and with all my, you know, teammates and my coaches and I'm taking my cleats off and my shin guards and my socks and I'm putting them in my bag and I'm waiting for uh, my parents to pick me up. And I knew this day my dad was coming to pick me up because my mom told me your dad's going to pick you up. So as I'm noticing all the other kids getting in their minivans and, and cars and their parents' automobiles, I'm sitting there like, see you guys, I'm just going to keep waiting. And as I continue to wait, eventually my coaches come up, say, hey, is, your, is someone coming to get you there, son? I said, oh, of course someone's coming to get me. My dad's coming to get me. And wouldn't you know, after just a few moments, uh, I was all alone on that soccer field at Kelly Myers Park in Roscoe, Illinois, as a seven, eight-year-old kid. Yes, my coaches left me. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. Have I still experienced some of this trauma? Yeah, that's why I'm talking about it. Am I getting free therapy right now? Absolutely. So I appreciate you. Maybe like 20 minutes go by, 30 minutes go by. When you're a kid, it feels like hours, days. And as I have my soccer ball in my bag, and I'm just kind of walking on the gravel road, kicking rocks, I pause and I look to my left and I see woods. It's a bunch of trees. And then I look to my right and I see a neighborhood of houses. And I think to myself, well, I have two choices. One, I'm going to have to learn how to live in the woods. Or I have to go find a new family over here in this neighborhood. I'm going to knock on a door and be like, yep, I just got done playing soccer. I don't have any parents. I'm all alone. Will you take me in? This is, this is like the debate that I'm having, obviously, as a kid. Now, after a while... Tears start flowing down my face as any kid. This would, you know, again, traumatic event, guys. So, yeah, you can feel sorry for me. But look it, I made it, okay? So we're good. <laughs> I did make it. But after like 30, 40 minutes, I, I look off in the distance and my dad uh, cruises around the corner and spits up some gravel in our red Subaru Outback and he flies up next to me. And I'm thinking like one of those moments where he's going to like run to me and the music starts playing. He's going to give me a big, beautiful hug. And he's like, I'm here, son. Instead, he was kind of like, get in the car, I forgot to pick you up. And I was like, how about a sorry, you know? Now, I don't hold this against my dad, because now 
as a father of two boys, there's many things that I totally blow it on. So it's like, that was just preparing me for these moments of being a dad, of being a parent. But now you're looking like 30 years later, I remember the story. And yeah, was it traumatic? Maybe for a seven or eight-year-old kid, yeah, it's pretty traumatic. Being left alone at the soccer field by yourself with no one in sight. But when I think about traumatic events or moments in our history that we've experienced, we've had these questions, as I perhaps did on that day on the soccer field, waiting alone, thinking to myself, is this the end? Is this it? Is it over? You know, for some of us in the room, this is what the sentiment kind of has been maybe for you recently. Maybe it is even today. Is this it? Is this the end? I didn't expect the phone call. I didn't expect this to be the report. I didn't expect to lose my job. I didn't know we were going to end in divorce. I didn't know I was going to lose a child at this age. And he asked these real questions. Is this the end? And this is where we see these disciples in a boat waking up Jesus, screaming at him, saying, hey, do you not care that we're perishing, we're dying? We feel like it's the end. Now, I got to look back because I was thinking about all the different things that the disciples would have seen up to this point. They've been walking with Jesus for a little while now, and this is what they have seen. I made a, a list of things. And these are some things that maybe we even preached on the weekends here at Four City. The disciples have seen many things. Here's a, a list. Number one is they've seen a leper healed. They saw a paralytic walk. They saw a man with a messed up hand, a withered hand, stretched out and was healed on the Sabbath. These are things the disciples have seen. A Roman soldier's servant was completely healed. A resurrection of a widow's only son coming back to life. A prostitute, a woman of the night, forgiven right in front of their very eyes. Things that they would have never imagined would have happened as they signed on for following Jesus. These are the things that they've seen. They've witnessed. But then I was thinking about this story in Luke chapter 8. They're now on the chaotic waters out in the open sea, frantic, screaming at Jesus to wake up because they feel like they're going to die. Why? Because now they're experiencing something. See, again, they've seen some things, but the difference between seeing something, something, witnessing something, and experiencing something for yourself is great contrast there. Because in the boat, these disciples, what's happening? Their faith is being completely tested. They now have to make a choice. They have to make a choice of what they're going to do. And these last few events that they would have seen, they didn't have to really make much of a choice. This is something that Jesus was doing for somebody else. But now they are in the middle of their own storm, of their own pain, of their own hardship. So what are they to do? This is their experience. And perhaps even for you, even now, you're saying, yeah, I get it. I can relate. Because right now I feel like I'm experiencing something that is very similar to the shouting of, hey, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm dying. It feels like the end. There's none more high on a level of importance when it comes to these things. Why? Because it's your experience. For you, you feel genuinely like it feels like this could be it. 
I never saw this one coming. I didn't ever expect to get that phone call at that time at night with that news on the other line. Never thought I'd be sitting in a funeral hall for someone who died too soon. This isn't what I expected. And this is like the tension that we kind of have to sit in, aren't we? Don't we? We have to sit in tension of Jesus and the disciples. Now, again, we look at the end of the story, and, and it's a beautiful story. And it goes so quick for us. We read through these stories. We're like, oh, I already know this one. This is beautiful. Jesus calms a storm. Friends, that's amazing. But come on. May we sit in the tension of sitting ourselves in the sense of that boat being like, hey, this doesn't seem like it's going to end very well. And they wake Jesus up shouting, we're perishing, we're dying. Now for us, again, it's easy for us to get to the end of the story. Jesus says, hey, where's your faith? Stands up, sees calm, boom, peace, be still. And we're like, yeah, Jesus. Friends, you and I both know in the human experience, it's not really how it always goes. Because it goes more like you kind of waking Jesus up sometimes, being like, hey, are you, are you in this thing with me? Because this is really difficult. Can we relate a little bit in this sense? This is where maybe even for some of us that we are. And again, when I, whenever I preach or speak or teach on, on the scriptures, I'm very, I, I hold the responsibility incredibly high because I don't ever want to go outside the line. So when I look at this story and the placement in Luke's gospel and the significance of Jesus controlling the wind and the waves. And this is exactly why the disciples are marveled and also at fear. Because they're like, who is this man that can control the winds and the waves? This story, in full context, points to one thing. And that is, Jesus is Lord of all of it. See, even in, ancient, in the ancient Near East, chaotic waters... Waters represented the chaos, and the chaos that in the Jews, they would believe that only Yahweh was able to control waters. Only Yahweh was able to control the chaos. So the fact that the disciples are on this boat in chaos, the water is now calm, completely calm and at peace. They just experience God, Yahweh, firsthand. But... I want us to be able to sit a little bit with this tension of, hey, we're perishing. Hey, this feels like the end. Hey, this isn't going the way that I wanted it to go. See, I believe you're the God of peace. I believe you can calm the storm. I believe that there's hope at the end of the tunnel. But right now, it, it, no, no. It feels like chaos. It feels like it could be the end. And in my short years of life, this is what I've determined when it comes to moments like these in our lives that you and I experience. That moments like these, when it feels like all hell is breaking loose and it feels incredibly chaotic and you have no control, and these moments, it is meant to shape who you are to become. It'll either make you or it'll either break you. So when we face these times, we face the testing of our faith 
It feels like this is nothing I ever asked for or wanted, and yet there's still something in there that's supposed to shape you into the person you're supposed to become. This is how the writer in James, James puts this in chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 in the message translation. I love how it says it. It says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of it, get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. When you face these moments, when you face these times of the chaotic waters, the storms of life per se, the easy thing to do that I have found for myself is just to avoid it. Get around it. Do anything you can to not face it the way that we're supposed to face it. What I've learned is that when these things come, and even the writer in the book of James is saying, he's telling you and I that the only way to face these storms and face these situations where your faith is completely tested is to go through it. It's the only way. Because what avoiding it does, it creates denial. It creates what's called cognitive dissonance. So you don't even know what the truth is. It's all half-truth. So when these moments come up again, you just continue to ignore, avoid, walk around. The pain that maybe you've even been feeling lately, you just kind of continue to sweep it away. But somehow, in some way, it finds a way to come up. Years later, months later, decade later. And you're wondering, why is this thing still in me? Friends, Because you are not meant to avoid it. You have to go through it. You have to go through it. The philosopher Seneca says it like this. He says, a gem cannot be polished without friction, nor a man perfected without trials. Here's the part that really messes me up. After I read the book of James and I see what he has to say and I think about like, I will say, it sure doesn't really feel like a gift, right? Like you and I, if we can agree on something, a a trial and a hardship isn't really something I woke up this morning asking for. You know what I mean? Like you didn't wake up to like a new time and be like, oh, it's daily savings. Also, I want bad news today, (laughs) right? You're not going to wake up tomorrow, Monday morning and be like, I'm really looking forward to my boss coming into my office being like, guess what, buddy? You're fired. Man, I can't wait for bad news. I'm looking forward to the phone call that just brings me to my knees. None of us are asking for that. But the reality is, and like I said earlier, this is truly the human experience. That you're going to get in a boat, a proverbial boat, traveling along, and when you know it, a storm hits. And then you and I are faced with a choice. How are we going to handle this? What are we going to do with this? Do we sweep it under the rug like we did last time? Do we avoid it like we did last time? Are we going to actually allow our faith to be built in such a way where our character begins to be strengthened and we go through this thing? Because here's what I know when it comes to these storms that you and I experience. And listen to me. This storm 
will not be the last one. So even right now, maybe you're sitting in these fancy blue chairs and you're saying like, man, I'm in one right now. This is something I have to experience right now. And you're doing everything you can just to avoid it, to push it away, to push down the feelings. But the reason that you're in these things is to shape you and mold you into the person that God has planned for you to become and knowing the folks and faces in this room who have been through some things in their life. It's shaping you because I'm telling you, friends, there's another one coming. But what you get to do when you face one storm after another storm, maybe you have a nice seven-year clean rep of like, I haven't faced storms in a while. Friends, it's a human experience. We know it. Another one's going to come. And now you get to look back and say, but God brought me through that one. And then he brought me through this one. And now he's continuing to bring me through the one I'm in right now. That's the faithfulness of God. Amen. And here's where I get really messed up in this story. And I got to be really honest. And maybe this is something you caught. And again, maybe this is something that you've seen or read or heard for a long time. And this is something that doesn't really occur to you. But I think to myself, even this week, I was talking to Chad, who speaks here on a regular basis about this just a couple weeks ago. I was like, Jesus was really sleeping. Does that bother anybody else in the room? As much as it kind of bothered me and maybe bothers me. Come on. Ask the question, if the disciples wouldn't have woken him up, would he have woken up? If Jesus is all-knowing and knew that when they got in that boat, he knew, man, they're going to be in for it. There's a storm coming. But I'm a little tired. I'm going to take a nap. I don't know, guys, has this been you? You're sitting in a storm. Kind of feels like this is the time you want to take a nap. You couldn't have napped later or earlier. Instead, you decide to take a nap now when I need you the most. I need you the most. The only conclusion I have, and we can argue and debate about this later, is that I feel like in my own life that, one, I have to trust Jesus. I have to trust him with everything, even when things don't make any sense. That if I was meant to go through the storm, it was for a purpose. That there are times in our lives that Jesus intentionally walks us through seasons where they don't make any sense. So maybe, just maybe, we can lean on him more in his wisdom and his presence and his guidance more than ourselves. That we lean into him. And that these moments truly are meant to shape us into the people that he has planned for us to become. That there's something in it that he wants to tell us, wants to show us. So, There's two things I want us to take away, two thoughts, and I'm going to read 
at the end. One more scripture. Two things when we're facing these moments, facing these, let's just call them storms of life. One is how we respond and who we allow in. How we respond to moments like these and then who we invite into spaces when we feel like we're in the middle of a storm and a hard season. One is when how we respond that we may be people who actually do turn to Jesus. And the version of you that turns to Jesus is not the cute, made up, manicured you. Let's be a little honest here for just the next three minutes of our time together. He is not looking for the fake you. If we learn anything in this story in chapter eight, the book of Luke, these disciples were the true authentic them. Hey, you, we're dying and you're napping. Do you care? Because I really, really need you. Right? What's beautiful about this story is that like Jesus doesn't get really all that offended. He's like, yeah, I get it. I think for you in your own life, maybe you're like, I don't want to, you know. It's like, hey, I want the authentic you. So come to him as you are. And carve out time when it comes to turning to Jesus. Carve out time in your daily walk with him, even when it doesn't feel like you want to open up this thing, even when it doesn't, doesn't feel like you want to even come into spaces like this because you're like, man, it's just too painful, it's too hard. But you have to begin to create that fortitude that says, even in the midst of hardship and trial, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to meditate on your word, I'm going to write, I'm going to speak to you. Even in those moments, I have to trust that you're good and that you're still for me and you're still doing a work in my life. I'm going to turn to Jesus. The second thing I said was about who we allow in. Who you invite into your life in these times will determine whether you stay stuck or you come through them. I'm convinced of this. When you're facing these hard times, these trials in your life, who you allow in will determine if you're gonna stay stuck in the pain or you're gonna actually go through it. Jonathan Martin in his book, How to Survive a Shipwreck talks about the importance of people and community that you choose to bring in in these moments. Who you invite into those traumatic events that you're experiencing or feeling. The heartache in a relationship, the heartache at work or the loss of a child, the loss of a loved one, whatever it may be, who you invite in, it really matters. The traumatic events that you're experiencing perhaps even too as people that you're going through this trauma together with. This term is simply trauma bonding. You're bonding over the pain and the events that you experience together. But if you only live in the trauma exclusively in relationship, it's incredibly unhealthy. But if you bond in trauma and pain in events, and the goal is always to get through it and have growth and health and peace. Now you're moving in the direction of going through something and allowing God to begin to shape you along the way. But if you just stay in the trauma, stay in the pain, I think of it like this in a metaphor is whenever a big meal gets cooked and not all of it was eaten, there's what? Leftovers. Put them leftovers in that fridge and the next day you throw them in that microwave or the oven, you heat them up, you eat them. 
maybe a little better than the first day. And if it's a Thanksgiving meal, we know that you got leftovers for like a week and you start making stuff up. You're just putting all the things together. But what if you kept those leftovers in there for like three weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks? You know, I'm gonna eat it one day. Maybe like 22 weeks go by and you're like, today's the day. You kept all of that waiting, holding on to it. What would happen if you ate that? It's a silly question, but what would happen? You'd probably get incredibly sick. And I think for me in my own life, what I've discovered, and maybe you can relate, is that I've eaten leftovers for far too long of all the pain that I've bottled up. And I ask myself, God, I wonder why I'm so dang sick all the time. Why can't I just get rid of this thing? It's because I've lived in the trauma for so long. I've actually not got to healing. I've not walked through it. I've instead just avoided it and walked around it. And for some of us in the room, this is exactly what we do. We invite folks in our life and we just kind of bond over hurt and pains and traumas. Oh, you were hurt too, I was hurt too. And then we just talk about it over and over again and we actually never heal or grow. But if the purpose and the point is to get to peace, then we have to begin to move together with the right people so that we can experience peace. Amen? It's this beautiful book. It's a children's book called The Boy, The Horse. I've said it wrong, so you have to put it up. The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse by Charlie Mackery. It's a beautiful book, and now it's actually on Apple TV. There's like 35-minute animated story. It's absolutely amazing. It's about this boy who's lost in the woods, and he befriends this mole. And eventually, he finds out what the boy is doing. He's trying to find a way home. Then they find the fox, and the fox is kind of standoffish because it's a fox. Then they find the horse, this beautiful white horse. Now they're all going to kind of like go on this journey together trying to find home, what home is. And they're riding the back of this horse, and the boy asks the horse, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? And the horse responds, help because asking for help is not giving up. It's refusing to give up. What's the bravest thing that you've ever said? Help. And for some of us in the room, and I can relate if you're like me, I don't wanna ask for help because it feels like I've given up. I've thrown the towel in. But asking for help is refusing to give up. Because for a lot of us in the room, may I say, all of us in the room need someone to pull us up or down in the pit of life. Amen? So who you invite in will determine whether you stay there or you go through it. And let me say this as I close. We'll stand here in just a second. Jesus, at the very beginning of the story, says, let us go to the other side. Friends, let me just sit in this moment with you for a second. 
and say these words and I pray that they actually wash over you with encouragement in life. There is another side. There is another side. And I know that you wanted it yesterday or five years ago. And it might happen tomorrow and it might happen in five years from now. But when we're following Jesus and we're in the right community of people and we're working to make sure we're going towards growth, healing, and peace in life, friends, there's another side. And Jesus in verse 25, he asks his disciples after he calms the storm, he just simply asks the question, where's your faith? Where's your trust? That's all that he's asking. Where are you placing your trust today? Where are you gonna place it? Moving forward. Can we stand together? I'm gonna read an ancient psalm, a writing that's been passed down for thousands of years. And I pray this would be something that impacts you, maybe even this week, that you are reminded that Jesus your shepherd, Yahweh, the one that does calm storms, the, the one that does offer hope is walking this storm with you today as you walk out of this place today, amen? Let's read this. This is Psalm 23, says this. And may you mutter it under your breath this morning to yourself over your own soul. The writer says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let me pray for us as we walk out of this place today. May you walk out of here encouraged that he is with you, even in these storms, even in these seasons of life. Heavenly Father, we are aware that you hear us when we pray. And we are aware that you are in our midst when we call on your name. And we are aware today of your presence. And I ask you for all of us in this place and in this space, that God, that we would encounter your goodness and your mercy that surely follows us for the rest of our days. God, may we be encouraged today that you are God, Yahweh, Lord of all, Lord of all the chaos in our life even now. And for those friends of mine who are sitting, standing here today, going through, feeling this great tension of crying out, is this the end? God, may they be reminded there is another side and that Jesus, you are walking with them. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Our prayer team is going to be right up front at the front of the stage if you need prayer for anything. Go in peace.